The motto of all true servants of God must be, We preach Christ and him crucified. A sermon without Christ in it is like a loaf of bread without any flour in it. No Christ in your sermon, sir? Then go home and never preach again until you have something worth preaching. Words from Charles Haddon Spurgeon, a man who not only encompassed preaching Christ in his sermons, but proclaimed Christ throughout his life. I first want to say that though I would love to speak of Charles Spurgeon and his deep theology, I don't feel the time given would adequately and justly portray his apologetics on the Christian faith, nor do I think that it would be as insightful to the understanding of who Charles Spurgeon was. Therefore, with the time given, I would love to give an overview of just who this Prince of Preachers was, his life, and why he's known today as one of evangelical Christianity's immortals. Essex, England is where the journey of this pilgrim starts, in a town called Calvadon. John and Eliza Spurgeon would welcome Charles into this world as the first son in the year of 1834. He was the first of 17 children, although only eight would survive past a young age. Though being the oldest sibling, Charles wouldn't be in Calvadon long as he moved to Stanbourne with his grandparents at the age of 16 months. The reason for this is not known, but the Lord obviously had big plans for this young boy. Charles's grandfather, James, ministered to a small congregation to one of the last burning embers of the Puritans. James was very well versed in scripture and one of, and of the Puritan writings. Charles, now living with his grandfather, James, had access to his grandfather's library, devouring works of great authors, which many were Puritans. Now at the time, England had a tax law that regulated the amount of tax given to the amount of windows on a house. Charles spoke of this room many times and would speak expressively of this room in his autobiography, stating, That little room was the minister's study and closet for prayer, and a very nice cozy room too. In my time, it was a darkened den, but it contained books, and this made it a gold mine to me. Therein was fulfilled the promise, I would give thee the treasures of darkness. Some of these were enormous folios such as a boy could hardly lift. Here, I first struck up acquaintance with the martyrs, and especially with Old Bonner, who burned them next to Bunyan and his pilgrim. Charles was in a treasure trove, and though this darkened room, he would find heaven's light beaming on old truth. These books would leave an imprint on Charles as he would read the Pilgrim's Progress over a hundred times in his youth and would quote Bunyan many times in his preaching. As Charles grew to the age of 10, he moved back to his parents and siblings, quickly taking on the leadership role of the oldest sibling, which was missing for some quite, some quite time. During this time, he would often go to visit his grandparents at Stanbourne, and on one of those visits, a missionary by the name of Richard Nill was impressed with Charles and how he spoke, stating that Charles would one day be a great preacher and will speak in front of multitudes. Richard Nill could not be more correct in his statement over the young Charles in the coming years. At the age of 14, Charles was sent to St. Augustine College, Maidstone. Though he was only there for one year, he would consider it one of the most important of his life. This is where Charles was convinced of the necessity of believer's baptism, and it was made known to him that though he was baptized as an infant, he had nor faith or repentance. This led Charles to dig deep into scripture and see that he was indeed, indeed needing to repent and proclaim in Jesus. He felt as Bunyan's pilgrim, carrying a heavy and depressing burden, trapped in darkness and despair. This leads us to one of Spurgeon's most well-known stories of his, and that is of his conversion. At the age of 15, young Charles was caught in a snowstorm and walked into a small Methodist church where the preacher was speaking on Isaiah 45, 22. Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. The message was on how simple the text is. We are called to look. It doesn't require pain, nor does it take lifting a finger, but it's just to look. 
This caused Spurgeon to write, I saw at once the way of salvation. I know not what else he said. I do not make, t- take much notice of it. But I was so possessed with that one thought, like as when the brazen serpent was lifted up, the people only looked and were healed. So it was with me. I had been waiting to do 50 things, but I heard that word, look. What a charming word it seemed to me. Oh, I looked until I could have almost looked my eyes away. And that moment I saw the sun. And I could have risen that instant and sung with the most enthusiastic of them, of the precious blood of Christ and the simple faith which looks alone to him. From this experience, Spurgeon would go on in his life preaching the necessity of a new birth and grew in an evangelistic heart going on to state to win a soul from going down into the pit is more glorious achievement than to be crowned in the arena of theological controversy. Charles, from a young boy, grew gradually in his understanding of Christ, and this was slowly being reflected in his life. At the age of just 16, Charles began preaching unexpectedly at a small cottage in Teversham. I say unexpectedly because Charles was told to go to this church because a young boy was going to preach to the congregation, and Charles should go be an encouragement to this boy. Arriving, he then realized that the boy was told the same thing. They showed up together, and one of them had to decide to preach. (laughs) So Spurgeon decided it was him who would preach to the congregation. The small elderly congregation was amazed by the sermon, leading the road of Charles to continue to preach in this church. This grew the congregation and grew this small cottage church. As years went on, Spurgeon would make the decision to not pursue a formal education, for it was clear to him in Scripture of the for it wasn't clear to him in Scripture the qualifications of a preacher and schooling. God answering this decision would give Charles an opportunity to preach in London, which stated started the journey of Charles's preaching career. He would go on and speak to tens of thousands by the age of twenty-two. With the contrast of his mature sermons and his youthful appearance, he became known as possibly the most famous orator in the world at this time. At the peak of his youthful preaching, Charles was given the opportunity to speak at the famous Crystal Palace in 1851, with the crowd being over 23,000 without any modern amplification. After this service, Charles realizes he wanted a bigger building for the people and built the Metropolitan Tabernacle at the age of only 26 years old. This was the largest Protestant church in the world, holding 6,000 people. Concluding his preaching life of Spurgeon, I would love to go more deep into his unique Christ-centered preaching and his character as a preacher. He was a man with great understanding of theology, but would use it to evangelize to the multitudes. As Albert, Albert Muller stated, Spurgeon was a legend in his own day. He stands alone as the most wildly appreciated and influential preacher of his century. Spurgeon preached a full-bodied gospel, with Calvinistic convictions and evangelistic appeals. He had the depth of Calvin, but the breadth of evangelism. This is why his sermons and preaching were so infamous. He was a double-edged sword and a preacher with a full deck in his hands. Now Spurgeon speaks with Calvinistic convictions because he was Calvin's biggest fan. Writing in his autobiography, Spurgeon wrote, Among all those who have been born of women, there has not risen a greater than John Calvin. No age before him ever produced his equal, and no age afterwards has seen his rival. In theology, he stands alone, shining like a bright fixed star, while other leaders and teachers can only circle around him at a great distance as comets go streaming through space with nothing like his glory or his permanence. He loved Calvin because Calvinism meant putting the eternal God at the head of all things, and God's glory in relation to it. Charles was born an Arminian, but would state that liberalism, Catholicism, and Arminianism all seemed to steal the glory from God and give it to man. 
Thus, Spurgeon wanted to be considered first a Christian with the nickname of a Calvinist for the meaning of faithfully preaching Christ and him crucified. This is why the main theme to Spurgeon's teachings was to preach Christ, not merely his example and the ethical precepts of his teaching, but his atoning blood, his wondrous satisfaction made for human sin, and the grand doctrine of believe and live. Mm. Spurgeon founded a pastor's college when he was only 15, and the emblem of this college was a cross that was being held. It read, et teno et tenor. This meant, I hold and am held. I hold because Christ is crucified, because Christ crucified is the saving and sanctifying truth. We must hold out to all people, and I am blessed because the blood of Christ is what attracts us to Christ, what holds us safe in Christ. We labor to hold forth the cross of Christ with a bold hand among the songs of men because that cross holds us fast by its attractive power. These wise words of Spurgeon and the chief understanding of what he would preach in his 38 years of ministry. Spurgeon was an earnest man with deep concern for the fate of the lost and the glory of Christ, but also that Spurgeon wanted the earnestness and zeal to never be confused with gloominess and melancholy. He had a sense of humor that flowed from him and was very aware of the power and danger of it. But though this fun of his life, it wasn't all joyous as our, as our minds may see. Charles Spurgeon in his later years suffered from severe doubts of depression. Though the causes of this, this disp- depression may not be known, it is thought that a big factor was the downgrade controversy, where Spurgeon saw liberal theology rise and put the church on a downgrade. He thought of this as the beginning of a new religion, thus putting him deeper into a depression and worsening his health. This worsened over 24 years, and Charles Haddon Spurgeon died at the age of 57. He died on January 31st, 1892, and spent his last days in Metten, which he would often return to, or return, which he would often retreat to in the winter months, finding warmth and meditation with the Lord. Just 11 days later, the streets of the Metropolitan Tabernacle were empty. Blinds were closed and signs of grief and sorrow. The casket made its way through the streets with a Bible on top opened up to that blessed scripture he heard right before his conversion, Isaiah 45, 22. Look to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. This was the essence of Spurgeon's life. Not to be a well-known theologian or preacher, but to turn people's heads to Christ and with their weary hearts to find rest in him. For Christ is where our hope comes from and all the glory goes to. The light Charles Spurgeon shined to others in his time still shines today. And this is why he will forever be known as one of the evangelical Christianity immortals. Now, there are many more things to say about Spurgeon that truly show Christ working in his teaching and life, but I want to end with the words of Spurgeon himself in his last sermon given before passing. Depend upon it, you will either serve Satan or Christ, either self or the Savior. You will find sin, self, Satan, and the world to be hard masters. But if you wear the livery of Christ, you will find him so meek and lowly of heart that you will find rest unto your souls. He is the most magnanimous of captains, there never was his like among the choices of princes. He is always to be found in the thickest part of battle. When the wind bow- blows cold, he always takes the bleak side of the hill. The heaviest end of the cross lies ever on his shoulders. Mm-hmm. If he bids us carry a burden, he carries it also. If there is anything that is gracious, generous, kind, and tender, ye lavish and superabundant in love, you always find it in him. These 40 years and more, or more that I have served him, blessed be his name, and I have had nothing but love from him. Mm. I would be glad to continue yet another 40 years in the same dear service here below if it so pleased him. Mm. 
His service is life, peace, joy. Oh, that you would have entered on it at once. God help you enlist under the banner of Jesus even to this day.